You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Thursday, the 18th of November, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you are listening to this program live and you would, or you're not listening to this program live, uh, you can listen Tuesday and Thursdays, 6 p.m. via MegiddoRadio.com forward slash live. Or you can just go to the sermon audio page, which is basically a link to and it's just an audio feed. It's kind of what I always, at the beginning when I did live, I was trying to do live and I was just purely trying to do live audio only. It's just the simplest solution. I know some people prefer the video feed. There will be occasional uploads to YouTube, Megiddo TV episodes, if you want to call it like that. Um, it won't be all of them. It'll, I'll just be picking a few here and there. Mainly because ever since the the algorithm in YouTube has kind of gone, I don't want to stone over the last couple of years. I don't completely understand it. If you put, it seems like it's it's not worth putting everything up there, and it's kind of more worth putting certain things, maybe maybe topics that are currently in the news, maybe responding to that kind of thing. But uh, ultimately, uh, YouTube is kind of, uh, it's kind of become a bit of a, a nightmare. I've been on YouTube over 10 years, and it seems to have gotten worse and worse and worse, kind of. And whether it's because of Christian conservative views, I think that's probably part of it and, and all that. Uh, but I think there's other reasons at play as well. It, it's gotten very clickbaity and... Um, so I'm only going to be putting certain programs up there uh, because it's just simply not worth putting everything up there time-wise and everything else. So on tonight's program, we're going to be going back to the, the Westminster Large Confession, or Catechism, sorry, and and we're going to be looking at questions relating to justification and also basically ask, asking the question is, how is it possible that God can delight in us, his children? It's a very important question to ask ourselves because we don't, I don't think we fully, we've made love and the love of God so general. Not every love in the Bible is exactly the same. There's a love that you show towards somebody in need in giving them, say, they're hungry and you give them bread. That's a, that's showing love towards them. But that's not a love in terms of a delighting love. Love of complacency, the Puritans would call it. It doesn't mean that you don't have that love as well for that person. But there is a love where you show it toward your enemies. You love your enemies. They're still your enemies. You don't love what they do, but you, you show that love of beneficence and love of benevolence toward them. Um, if For those people who 
would be interested in reading more on this topic of the love of God, and I urge people to do this because it's—I don't think it's—it's it's some kind of theological jargon beyond us or anything like that. R.C. Sproul wrote a book. Was it about twenty years ago? Maybe, maybe it was less than that. But called the love of God, and I, I, and he goes through these different types of love. It's one of the chapters in that book, and also. And he referred to the Puritans. It's not something that that started with him, but if you, I remember reading through Turretin, and in his volume one, don't have the reference off the top of my head, but he was talking about these different types of love, which is very, very useful, especially when you see that in the Psalms we are to hate our enemies with a perfect hatred. How does that work out, and things like that? So, if you look at the three types of love. Described in the Bible, it makes a lot of sense. But the love we're talking about here is a love of delighting in. Yes, God gives food and rain and sunshine to everybody on the earth who's still alive and still breathing. But how can God delight in his children? How can he delight, absolutely take joy and pleasure from his children? And that's the doctrine of justification, where we are viewed as righteous because of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, represented by Jesus Christ. And these things are very, very practical. This is not some high-end theological debate. So often we don't think of how that applies to how we live, and that's a, that's a major error that we've made in modern theology, largely. We don't think of well, this is true of God. This is true of my relationship with God. Well, how should it affect how I live? How should it affect my, my anxiety levels? Hopefully they'll drop knowing this. Hopefully they'll know. You know, it, 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 it means so much, doesn't it, to, to children and a family to know that they're loved. To know that there's, not just saying it, not spoiling the child, but loving that child. Giving them good things and steering them away from what is bad. God delights in his children, so therefore he, he responds to our prayers. He, he loves us, those in Christ Jesus. And the only way he can delight in us is if the moral standards of the law are kept. And you think, well, how can we do that? We're sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And in and of our own selves, God can't delight in us. But for the blood of Christ, God, it wouldn't be possible. And, when, and the more we learn of these things, the more the depths of our appreciation, the depths of our thankfulness, uh, the depths of our praise should grow. So often, we treat some of these things and the gospel and things like that, and we go we go so so far, we go no further, and unfortunately, it becomes borne out in our worship and in our in the shallowness of our devotion to God. We should grow in these things. We should grow in our love of God. We should grow in our knowledge of God, and we should grow in our knowledge also of ourselves in light of who. God is and what he has done. So before we get into our main part of our question 70 of the Westminster Large Catechism onwards, and we're also going to be looking, by the way, at 
if we have time, issues relating to the difference between the the justification described in Westminster Standards versus the justification, the false and heretical justification of the Roman Catholic Church. And particularly important because of the fact that you've got views cropping up, New Perspective on Paul, Federal Vision, and other things like that, which purport to be Protestant, but problem is we, we're not well-versed on justification anymore in the church. There's not many books that have been written on justification. I'm only aware of one that I know of, anyway, that's been written in the last few decades. I, Yeah, there's a I'm talking about good ones now. Uh, by J.V. Fesco. That's probably like um, a modern day classic. I know N.T. Wright's written stuff, but N.T. Wright is not orthodox. Um, N.T. Wright is completely wrong on this issue. N.T. Wright is dangerous. It seems to be the the most dangerous people are writing on this topic. We're not well-versed in justification. Don't think, well, I know that topic. Go get some... Go get James Buchanan's book on justification. Go get other, go through the catechisms and the confessions on justification. Don't just think that you know this topic. You know, you've been told the slogan, just as if I had never sinned. That's not what justification is. Justification is you are declared righteous, not just sinless, but righteous before God. And yes, our sin debt had to, had to be canceled out, paid, but also the law had to be kept perfectly in our place in order for us to be justified, declared righteous before God. And it's a declaration before God. In and of our own selves, we're still sinners. Yet, viewed as righteous before the throne of God. It says in Romans 1, the just shall live by faith, not the morally neutral. The just. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are viewed as the the just. Those viewed as righteous. Not just that the, the sin debt has been wiped away, that's great, but more is needed than that. But we'll get into this I'm jumping ahead here, as you can tell. Passionate about this issue because we don't study it enough. And so the enemies are largely having a field day in this topic and around this topic within the church. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to read down to verse... Verse 12. There's lots there's lots of what you could read, but we'll just read from this. Um just pray to Almighty God to help us. Almighty Father, a great King, our mighty Lord, please help us, O Lord. Bless those listening right now to the program. Bless those who listen to the program later on. O Lord, may it be a blessing to to us all. In Jesus' name we now pray. Amen. So Romans chapter four, verse one, let us hear God's word. What then shall we say about Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what 
Sorry, I don't know how I did that there. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Although they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only only are of the circumcision, but he will also walk in the steps of the fa- of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And may God bless his word to us. So, you know, Paul there pointing out, to simplify it down, that Abraham was also justified in exactly the same way by faith and by faith alone. And we see there, there's not one gospel in the Old Testament and another gospel in the New Testament. They're both saved in exactly the same way. Blessed are those, this is quoting from the Psalms, Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute impute sin credited to their account so we're going to the Westminster Larger Catechism to look at questions on justification we'll, we'll uh, hoping to at least get to question 73 we might even do more than that but probably we'll just do up to those four questions first question what is justification Answer, justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners in which he pardoneth all their sins, accepteth and accounteth their persons righteous in his sight, not for anything wroth in them or done by them, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ by God imputed to them and received by faith alone. So let's break down this answer here. Again, this is this is based upon scripture, but I have done other programs going through the texts, but I'm really just largely today going through the Westminster standards on this, especially the larger catechism. 
justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners. Now, act of God's free grace. Nothing is owed to the sinners. Nothing within the sinner compels God to justify the sinner. Or put another way, we do not deserve the least of his mercies. God does not justify us for anything that we have done or will do. It is purely an act freely. God is free to act in this way to whomever he so chooses. So justification is an act of God's free grace unto sinners, lawbreakers. This is my own commentary here, lawbreakers. The answer says, in which he pardoneth all their sins. Now, here is the part where a person viewed as righteous before God must deal with his sin. He must be forgiven. He must be pardoned before the judge. Someone else had to pay that penalty. Imagine, if you will, you owe a certain amount of money to a judge, but somebody else pays it for you. Well, the, the debt is paid. And that is the case with us before God. The Lord Jesus Christ paid that penalty. He suffered under the wrath of God. He came into this world and he was treated as a criminal. As if he had broken the law, which he hadn't. But because of him bearing the punishment, we could be pardoned our sins and accepted as righteous before God in him. Back to the answer again. Accepteth and accounted their, accounteth their persons righteous in his sight. So they're accepted and accounted. They're treated as righteous. Again, not morally neutral, not just a clean slate. And this is kind of, this is important when you want to tackle the, the views of new perspective and things like that, because without this positive righteousness, if, if Christ has obeyed the law perfectly, if he has perfectly forgiven sins, past, present, and future. Well, man cannot contribute anything to his own salvation. What, what, what is left to do in that situation? So you could say it shuts the door to any attempt to claim that it depends on man in any way, shape, or form. Now, okay, people involved in New Perspective and Federal Vision, they would claim that, no, 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 these, these works are not meritorious. But let's put it another way. Let's put aside the word merit. But even, it, it, it has nothing to do with man. Because if it had anything to do with man, and if it was in any way dependent upon man, man's response or whatever, no one would be saved. Now you say, oh, well, don't people 
repent and believe? Don't they exercise faith? Yes, they do. But they exercise faith because of God. They exercise faith because the Holy Spirit has regenerated their souls freely of his own free grace. Freely, he has given them faith so that they believe in Jesus Christ. It is all of God and it is all of grace. And that's why faith alone matters so much, because otherwise it is no more of grace. Faith is the gift of God, as any man should boast. So it says here, and to nail this down even further, in answer 70, not for anything wroth in them or done by them. See, salvation doesn't even, in a strictest sense, depend on our faith. It depends on Christ. Now, faith is needed and is necessary because it is the instrument by which we lay hold upon salvation. But it does not depend our salvation. The grounds of our salvation does not depend. Our justification does not depend on our imperfect faith and repentance. And this should take away worry. Because people often, in their misunderstanding of faith and repentance, we say we're, we're faith, saved by faith. We're saved by faith alone. Well, and then they, they focus on their faith. And they kind of look at their faith and go, my faith is imperfect. Am I, am I a Christian? I, I've sinned too many times. So if you make the focus upon the faith, rather than the fact of Christ paying it all, obeying the law in every one place, and you, with your imperfect faith, looking toward him, the fact that you are looking to him, not looking to yourself, you're looking to him, you know that you've been accepted in Christ. If you in any way think that you add anything, then you're not looking to him. You are not trusting in him alone. It says an, an answer for the 70th question here, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ. I think that kind of speaks for itself. He perfectly obeyed the law in every single point, never sinning, obeying in our place. Why was he baptized in Mark chapter 1? He wasn't a sinner to fulfill all righteousness. To obey the law in our place. He came in our place. He satisfied the demands of the law. You see, there were still the, the positive demands of the law summarized in the Ten Commandments, summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, summarized the, the law is what love looks like. And only God, only the Lord Jesus Christ, could fully satisfy that. We couldn't satisfy it because we're sinners. Our greatest deeds are but filthy rags before God. Even our greatest, nicest deeds, anything we've ever done. Is 
in some way, shape or form, falling short of the glory of God. If you have any questions during this program, we're about what, 25 minutes into the program, you can email the program at Megiddo Radio, that's M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com. I have the email open in front of me. If you'd like to ask any questions during the program, you can do so. And if there's any part of the information you would like me not to reveal or whatever, you can put that in an email as well. Um, anything to do with justification. If we don't, by the way, if we don't get on to looking, comparing Roman Catholicism, we will do it next week, probably next Thursday, because I think it's very important that we understand that the difference between the Roman Catholic view of justification, which is a false view of justification, and why there can be no peace at Rome, I think that's important we do that before we move on in the Westminster Larger Catechism, such an important issue of why we cannot view the Roman Catholic Church as a Christian church, but we'll get into that some other time. Um, by God imputed to them. So it's imputed to them. It's accredited to them. It's not infused into them. It's not, it doesn't become like part of their being. It is something given to them by imputation. And how is it received? It says at the end of this answer, and received by faith alone. That is how, if you are not justified currently today before God, you receive it by faith alone. You receive it. You trust in Christ. You have no hope in yourself. You've given up on yourself. And trusting, you know that to trust in yourself would lead to, to, to death and hell, that it is folly and foolishness, and you throw yourself upon the mercies of God in Christ Jesus, that is faith, and that is faith alone. It is the only instrument of salvation, of justification. And if you have that question 70 in your mind, the door is shut for any possibility of anything being added to that. Nothing can be added to that. Where can we possibly add it? In our obedience? Well, Christ has obeyed the law perfectly. In paying the penalty? Well, how? Pay the penalty for our sin, we would need to go to hell. So it, it closes the door on any of our obedience, especially when it comes to our act of obedience, being any way used as part of what is viewed before God as just. It is the perfect standard perfect keeping of the standard. So let's look at question 71 there. Question 71 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. How is justification an act of God's free grace? Answer, although Christ, by his obedience and death, did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice, in the behalf of them that are justified. Yet, in as much as God accepted the, the satisfaction from a surety, which we might have denied of them, and did provide his surety, his own only Son, imputing his righteousness to them, and requiring nothing of them, 
for their justification, but faith, which also is his gift. Their justification is to them of free grace. So, so although Christ, by his obedience and death, did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice in behalf of them that are justified, yet inasmuch as God accepted the satisfaction from a surety which you have demanded of them, and did provide the surety, his only son, imputing his righteousness to them and requiring nothing of them. So this is, the point of this answer is this. Kind of what I've already said already in the previous question. Nothing's required from them. Everything is done by God. Freely, nothing required. Nothing is of necessity because of, well, the creature is so good or anything else like that. We, do, we deserve nothing from God. At all. All that is required of them is faith, and this faith is also provided by God. And it's not the, the faith that is examined for justification, it is Christ's righteousness. Faith is the instrument upon which we lay hold upon the finished work of Christ for our justification. Their justification is to them of free grace. So, God has done all freely. And all that is required of us has been provided. It is all, it is by grace alone. Every single part of it. In Let's look at something here. So, in question 72, depends how fast we get through this, we might be able to look at some of the things from the Council of Trent before the end of the program. One is justifying faith. Justifying faith is a saving grace, wrath, in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his last condition, not only assenteth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for pardon of sin, and for the accepting and accounting of his person, righteous in the sight of God for salvation. So, let's break that down, that question. What is justifying faith? So, justifying faith, saving grace. So, a saving grace, it is something that is graciously given by God. And the, the proof text... For this, let's look down here. 
For some reason, it seems to be hiding him. Oh, yeah, here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we, we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe in the saving of the soul. So we are those who believe. But as a gift of God, it is not of ourselves. Again, if it was of ourselves, if saving faith was something that originated within us and was not a gift of God and it was not a saving grace, well, then, the difference, one would exercise something from within them and another would not. And that would mean that we're more righteous, are we, than our lost neighbors? But it is of God's free grace that anyone is able to exercise this saving grace. Wrath in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit. It's, it's all the work of the Spirit. Because only a dead sinner who's dead in trespasses and sins, he, he must be regenerated. He must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And literally in the Greek, it's, it is necessary for you to be born again. Literally. It is necessary for you to be born again. Not something you do. The necessity of being born again. To see your sin and to see the beauties of Christ and the word of God. So it's wrath in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and the Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery, and, and here's the thing, right? Until that happens, until God does that in the heart, he's not convinced he's a sinner. If you're a Christian listening to this, the, the, when you became convinced you're a sinner and you saw your sin, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't some cold intellectual thing where you just sat down and go, oh, yeah. It, it's very clear and plain to all that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. The problem is man doesn't want to see it, and man won't see it, and man resists that until the Spirit of God works in his heart. He must be convinced of his sin and his misery. Answer 72 goes on to state, And of the disability in himself and all the creatures to recover him out of his lost condition. So he is enabled to recover himself out of his lost condition. Not only assenteth to the truth, he assents to the truth of the, gospel, of the promise of the gospel. He believes it's true, yes, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness. Now, here's the thing. Not only assenteth, he, he didn't just believe that the facts were true, this is true, and all this kind of thing. There are many people around the world that assent to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but not everybody receives and rests upon Christ and his righteousness. There is a kind of self-deception that can go on in the heart of certain people who have but historic faith. They believe, but not in a saving way. 
they have a very general sense of what it means to be a Christian. And this is why you get you get some movements even in Protestantism where it's important to emphasize this threefold definition of faith. The we need knowledge, we need to assent, which assent means you believe it's true. Of course you believe it's true. If you don't believe it's true, well, you, you can't trust it. But just because you believe it's true does not mean you trust something. It goes on to state in this answer here in the Westminster Larger Catechism, therein held forth for pardon of sin. So we must receive and rest in this. And for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. And until and unless somebody is viewed as righteous in the sight of God, he has no hope. The wrath of God abides upon you if you are viewed with regards to your own righteousnesses. Question 73, and I think I'm going to, I'm going to stop at the end of 73, and then we're going to look over at the Council of Trent to look at some what the Roman Catholic Church teaches about justification and why this is so different and that we need to know this. And I think one of the problems is and why we have capitulated to Romanism and been lured in by the harlot of Rome. We don't see hardly anybody anybody with Rome Rome believing or the Revelation chapter 17 is Rome anymore um, and other parts which means they say well it's just the lost world that's going to seduce us and things like that that's true the lost world will seduce us and the world of flesh and the devil is going to try and seduce us away but in a very very specific way here's a woman described in the book of Revelation part as well that is seen as Christian, but really is a harlot, enticing, seducing away souls from the truth. What institution fits that description? Viewed as Christian, but really is not. Especially our view of the the doctrine of the Antichrist is well, I think we sadly think we can just chop it out of the Westminster Confession. And, and that's an unfortunate mistake that the church has kind of made over the last 100, 200 years. Not all. There's been various people who have held that the Pope of Rome is the Antichrist, C.H. Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, just two examples. There's been other people as well, of course. So question 73, how doth faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other graces which do always accompany it, or of good works that are the fruits of it, nor as if the grace of faith 
or any acts thereof were imputed to him for his justification, but only as it is an instrument by which he receiveth and applieth Christ and his righteousness. So let's break down this answer. This last question we're going to look at this evening. So, justifies the sinner in the sight of God. And here's, it has to go into the negative because of the views of Roman Catholicism and even a number of Anabaptists at the time and, and other people as well. Not because of those other graces which do always accompany. It's not because of the other things that accompany it. You know, it's not because of works. It's not because of anything else done in the person that, that we're justified. We can't earn it. We can't before or any stage of salvation. There are necessary fruits that are there, but this is not does not play any part in our justification. A number of professing Protestants could do well with reading this, that there is no second justification that in some way depends on our works, except maybe in a declarative sense, but I digress. But our good works, which are the fruit of justifying faith, does not justify us. They show that there's a root in there, but the fruits do not justify us. It's only Christ's perfect work Praise God for that, because if it had anything to do with our fruit, we, we would have no hope. It goes on to say, Nor as if the grace of faith, or any act thereof, were imputed to him for his justification. The grace of faith, or any act thereof, so his act of faith, he's trusting upon Christ, is not the thing that imputes that, that act, the act of Believing on Christ is not the thing that justifies him. It is, it is only as an instrument, it says, by which he receiveth and applieth Christ and his righteousness. The way, like the instrumental cause of salvation, right? The instrumental cause of salvation is faith. And the best analogy I've heard, and this is something I found in R.C. Sproul's books, and he's written about this, and other people have written about this as well. And this goes back hundreds of years in the Reformation and other times, where a sculptor is working on the sculpture. And there's various causes to the sculpture. But the instrumental cause excuse me, the instrumental cause of that sculpture is the chisel in his hand. It is the means by which the work is carried out in, in, in carving out the sculpture. So we have this category, there's other categories like the material cause, which is the, the, the stuff of which it's made and and how God is the cause of salvation in the truest sense, but then there's the instrumental cause. 
Here is the means by which God uses. It is an instrument, an instrument, by which he receiveth and applieth Christ and his righteousness. Here's how the, the sinner lays hold upon Christ and his righteousness. He's, this faith is not, if you want to look at the sculpture and the, the chisel analogy and the hammer and everything else, well, the tools by themselves, the means by themselves, do not carry out the sculpture. They are instruments. They're instrumental causes of the final result. It is the sculpture himself, that is God, who is the ultimate cause of salvation. But he does use a means. The saving grace, this instrument of faith. The more we understand about this, the more we see that it is not of ourselves. Now, much of the evangelical church might even balk at that explanation. Would not understand that. And would just say, well, it's not a work. You just believe. Yes, but you're, you're believing. It's an exercise of the will. It's trusting. And does it make you any better than your unbelieving neighbor? Does it play any part in your justification? And it, and it doesn't, you see. Because our faith and our repentance from, from sin is imperfect. It is, isn't it? Let's face it. Yes, we turn from sin, but it's imperfect. And if it, if it had anything to do, or if our justification had anything to do with, with the, the degree of our faith or the degree of our justification or anything else like that, if it, which it would if, if it were true then we'd have no hope. But it is an instrument by which we lay hold upon it because ultimately the, the grounds of it and the foundation of it all is Christ and his righteousness, his, his work. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, are we trusting in him? Your, your faith is weak, yes. We, we cry out to the Lord to help our unbelief. But our salvation, the grounds of our salvation, the reason we're, if you're going, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, the reason you're going to heaven, the reason you, you are saved in wrath to come is because of Christ. Not because of your imperfect faith, which is an instrument, it is a means God uses. But it, it sh a proper understanding of this should help us, hopefully, to have a greater assurance of faith and have a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Now, for the last few minutes, how are we doing for time? We've got about 10 minutes left. And we call this an appendix, I suppose, to this program. And I'm just going to quote a few things from the sixth session of the Canons and Decrees of the Council of Trent. This succession, which is very important as decrees relating to justification, it took place on the 13th of January 1547. It was during the period of the Reformation. It was part of the Counter-Reformation. 
led largely by the Jesuits and other groups that were attempting to make sure that human free will was still viewed as part of salvation or needed for salvation. But they didn't like the idea of completely removing human merit from justification. So in this, and okay, these decrees were put out in the 16th century, but Rome still stands over them. Vatican II, the catechism, the current catechism of the Catholic Church, you could go to that as well on... It has a section on justification as well, various paragraphs on justification you could look at, but this kind of gives a probably a fuller view of its view on these things. And, and this is why the main reason, the number one reason there can be no peace with, with Rome. She, pre, she presents a false gospel and it is under God's curse according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Too many are slow to recognize Rome's priests as false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, yes, if you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them, do. But these are leading people in the name of Christ to hell. I'm going to look at the canons now. The canons and justification, starting with canon one, we'll just work through the canons. There's all other things you could quote as well from this. Um, but in the canons, First of all, what they do is, in the first few canons, they, they reject Pelagianism. We've dealt with Pelagianism before in the program. They say, if anyone says that man can be justified before God by his own works, whether done by his own natural powers or through the teaching of the law, without divine grace, through Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. And even we could agree with that, by the way. So in the first two canons, I'll read the second canon now, but there's a rejection of Pelagianism where it's purely upon your own works. It, rather than God alone, it becomes really man alone. So canon two, if anyone says that divine grace through Christ Jesus is given for this only, that man may be more able, able to receive, to live justly, and to merit eternal life as if by free will without grace, he is able to do both though with hardship and difficulty, let him be anathema. So, look, even we would agree with that part. But after this is where it gets worse. Um, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, William Cunningham actually goes through this in his historical theology when he's when he's talking about this, his two-volume work on historical theology, that the Roman Church really wanted to be viewed as Augustinian, uh, as in, st you know, still adhering to Augustine, but wasn't really. Um, it wouldn't look great if, you know, well, Calvin 
in Geneva and everything else, and he's he's writing these institutes, and he's he is far more it looks in in agreement with Augustine than the Roman Catholic Church is. The Roman Catholic Church seems to have completely tossed Augustine out the window when it comes to grace. So they had to appear to be somewhat Augustinian. But when it comes to grace, they're not. Some issues, sure, but but not when it comes to the doctrines of grace. So, Canon 4, it says, If anyone says that man's free will, moved and aroused by God, by assenting to God's call and action, in no way cooperates toward disposing and preparing itself to obtain the grace of justification, that it cannot refuse its assent if it wishes, but that as something inanimate, now this is some of this is a bit of a caricature really of Calvinism, as something inanimate, it does nothing whatever and is merely passive, let him be anathema. So in, in Canon 4 of succession of justification, Rome is saying, if anyone says, if anyone says the following, right, man's free will is not part of salvation, that it is not, how would I put it, man's will, or man is passive in this, completely, because he's dead in trespasses and sins, he's this is like the real version of justification is he's regenerated and he does exercise his will, but it's not free and it doesn't cooperate in it in order to receive the grace of justification. But they kind of come up with this almost, like, yeah, well, the caricature really. And it says in no way he cooperates by sending to God's call and action in no way cooperates toward disposing, preparing himself, preparing itself to obtain the grace of justification that it cannot refuse its assent if it wishes which is bizarre because it's like kind of fuses. Well, the whole point of it is that God changes the will and it's not against the will, but that's that's Rome's kind of caricature of of Calvinism. It's not just a, Rome's caricature of Calvinism. It's also much of modern day evangelicalism's caricature of Calvinism. You'll hear it <laughs> go on YouTube for five minutes and you'll hear plenty, which sounds like Trent, Trentine Rome, from within evangelicalism. And we wonder why the church is such a mess. And you'd wonder, you'd wonder how much of the Reformed Church even understands this or believes this anymore. You'd wonder. No doubt some people do, but to what degree? So they say... If you, if you say man is passive in this, well, according to Rome, you're under the, 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 you're under the curse of God. If anyone says, as Canon 5 of Trent on Justification, Session 6, if anyone says that after the sin of Adam, man's free will was lost and destroyed, or that it is a thing only in name, indeed, a name without reality, a fiction introduced into the church by Satan, let him be anathema. So, Rome is very much on the side of free will. And by the way, do not get carry carried along with the caricatures that Rome or Arminianism presents because um, it, within these caricatures, you have 
caricatures are very, very similar. These caricatures are very, very similar to what Arminianism presents. There's free agency. Man is not forced to do anything he doesn't want to do. Um, he, he does it because he's incapable of believing and trusting God because one reason is he doesn't want to. He's a slave to sin. Here's a canon 9 of the same session. If anyone says that, that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that, that's, that's what just faith alone means, by the way. Nothing else is required. Well, it kind of doesn't completely understand it, but it's close enough. Um, and that it is not only in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will. To see how free will and faith alone are really clashing with each other. Let him be anathema. So there's anathema on anyone who believes faith alone. Justification by faith alone. Rome rejects the solas of the Reformation. Faith alone especially. And if you do, if you do, I think I've seen one or two cases where you'll see the odd case where somebody will say, oh, faith alone, yes, oh, yes. Yeah, we believe faith alone. Um, And it might be a Roman Catholic priest or something like that. And we say, how do you get away with that? Well, what do you mean by faith alone? Faith apart from works? Apart from works. Or do you mean by our faithfulness alone? You see, they'll say, well, oh, no, the Spirit of God works within us, and it's through those graces that we're acceptable before God, and it's only because of that, otherwise we would never be able to do it. Well, that's Rome's view. And, and sometimes through clever rewording Rome's apologists say pretty much the same thing. So be careful. So hopefully that's been a blessing to you. Hopefully you see as well why there is a complete disconnect between the true gospel of grace, how we're acceptable before God, and how Rome and its false gospel views how we're acceptable before God. Yet, yet it'll say it's partially God, but it's also partially us. They reject the true gospel, and we hope that many of them will come to know the true gospel in the years to come. This has been Paul Finn. May God bless you all.